You may be like me, and your family has memories of particular Christmases that are marked by particular gifts that were received or given to or by you or someone else in your family. That particular gift that made that Christmas especially memorable. In 1977, my family, when I was young, marked the Christmas of 77 with a western horseback saddle. My oldest sister, who at the time in high school was enamored with horses and had even managed to acquire one for herself and kept it stabled at a place north of Dallas, had become a good rider and had found a western saddle that she loved. And she coveted this saddle and couldn't wait to have it, but it was far too expensive to acquire at that time, and so her heart was broken. But shortly before Christmas, it went on sale, and our dad took note of that. And so on Christmas morning of 1977, we all gathered together in the living room, as American families will do, and did the thing that we all will do probably tomorrow morning, gathered around the tree and began to pull candy out of stockings and tear wrapping off of gifts, and my sister sat there with her stocking, and that was all. There was nothing coming from under the tree for her, and after a few moments, it began to get a little bit awkward. She was sort of embarrassed. Why are there no gifts for me? And then the phone rang, and my mom answered the phone. Hello. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Why, yes, she's here. Do you like, you like to talk to her? Okay. She called my sister to the phone. The phone's for you, but you should go take it in the other room, the study, where it's a little quieter and you can hear what this person is saying. So my sister got up and left her stocking on the chair and went to the other room to have peace and quiet on the phone. But there was nobody on the phone. It was a setup. Next to the phone stand, of course, was the saddle with a red bow on top and her name tagged to it. And my parents, expecting to hear a squeal of glee and joy from my sister, heard actually nothing, and they became kind of curious. So they walked into the study, and there was my sister crumpled up on the floor, arms wrapped around her saddle in tears of joy. And forever the Christmas has been known as the the Christmas of the saddle. Maybe this Christmas will be like that for you. Maybe some of you kids will get your first bicycle, and you'll always remember it for that. Maybe this will be the Christmas that a special ring is exchanged, or maybe some loved one of yours has become aware that they can go online and make you a landowner in Ireland. For just $49.99, you can buy a plot of land in Ireland that comes complete with a certificate of ownership and a deed of assurance and photographs, and even directions in case you ever get to Ireland to go visit your plot. Or even better, if you can't afford that, for half the price, you can buy an acre of land on the moon. Did you know that? An acre of lunar land. It comes with a lunar deed and, of course, a map in case you ever get to the moon to go and visit. Maybe this Christmas will be marked by such a gift for you. You know, of course, the first Christmas was marked by such gifts, but they were obviously profoundly greater than anything that you could possibly own. And these gifts are in a name, Matthew 
tells us. Last Sunday morning together, if you were here, we read Matthew's account of how the birth of Jesus took place. And Matthew tells us in the first chapter of his gospel about the marital confusion that ensued for Joseph when he discovered that his sweet little Mary had become pregnant in his absence. And he was wondering, how could this happen? And what am I now supposed to do with this woman and as her betrothed? And as he considered these options, Matthew tells us that an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said to him these words that have marked every Christmas ever since. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Matthew, in this event, saw the great fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us, but the angel insisted that Joseph declare another name for this occasion. And the angel was not going to be denied. He, he said to him, she will bear a son, Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And above and beyond any other gift that you might give or receive, these gifts of Christmas are in a name, Jesus. You know, it's a, a very powerful thing to name a child. You parents who've done such, you know the sense of the power that that is. To give a a, a moniker on the head of an eternal being who's been entrusted by God to you for their lifetime of care. All of our kids were born early. They all arrived weeks before their due date, and on one occasion, we weren't quite ready with a name. And our Sunday school class at the time, it was near Christmas, took upon themselves at the Christmas party to pass around a list of suggested names for the Peter's child. Elvis, Santa, Luke Skywalker. It was a fun activity for them, I'm sure, but it wasn't particularly helpful for us. We didn't necessarily need their suggestions. Jesus. Jesus was a fairly common name among first century Jews at the time. It was a name of hope. It's the the Greek form of a Hebrew name, Joshua. Joshua coming from a Hebrew word, Hosea, meaning salvation or deliverance. And adding the prefix for Yahweh, it became Yahshua. Joshua, the Lord saves. And the angel insisted that this be the name. This is not a mere suggestion because this name would mark this one and countless ones to come for all of eternity. And if you peel back some layers of Bible history to a couple of other Joshuas, then you begin to understand the gifts that are in this name. Now, as much as many of us are enjoying the cinematic gift of Star Wars at this time of year, The name of Jesus declares to us that the power of God is not, of course, an impersonal force that is indifferent to the good or the evil that you might make of it. Rather, the gifts of this name are that God came down 
that God came down to save and to deliver his people, that God came down to clear one thing and to claim another. Jesus, by the power of his name, clears the record of the past. Now, one of the Old Testament Joshua's that we find, if we go back and look in history, shows up to us in a strange scene in the book of an obscure prophet, Zechariah. I think I mentioned this story to you some weeks ago. It's an important story, and I want for it to be on your mind as you go into Christmas. Zechariah was a prophet who wrote some 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And the people of Israel had just returned from exile in Babylon. For decades, they had been away from their land, and they had just returned, remembering as a people hundreds of years of angst and unfaithfulness on their part. Remembering hundreds of years of striving against God and losing to their own sin. Remembering hundreds of years past of tainted glory and lost hope. But Zechariah came to them with the word of the Lord, and the Lord was ready to reconcile with his people, saying to them through Zechariah things like this, Listen, Israel. You are the apple of my eye. And so I have come to you, and I will dwell in your midst. But to do that, I have to clear the record of the past. And so a courtroom scene unfolds in Zechariah's vision. It's a, it's a beautiful picture in Zechariah 3 of this courtroom scene unfolding. And there in the courtroom stands Joshua, the high priest, the one who represents all of Israel before God. Upon his shoulders rests the sins of the whole people. And there he stands before God, but he's not alone. To his right is Satan, the enemy, the accuser, pointing fingers at Joshua, pointing fingers at his filth. And he is filthy. There's nothing that Joshua can say in defense of himself. He's wearing filthy garments, Zechariah tells us. And there's nothing Joshua can do to defend himself. He needs a savior. He needs a deliverer, someone who can clear the record of his past. And so the Lord speaks. I rebuke you, Satan, he says. Who are you to accuse the one on whom I place my love? And then he turns his attention to the angel assistants, and he says, the Lord does to them, remove the filthy garments from Joshua. And replace them, clothe him with pure vestments. And they did. But you have to notice something of a detail in this story. God did not erase the past. He didn't erase it. Before Matthew's angel had insisted to him, to Joseph, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Matthew had already named the sins. Do you remember? He'd already named the people. That's why that genealogy at the beginning of Matthew matters so much to us. It's so important for us to recognize what's there in that genealogy. Matthew had already named the sins because Jesus' own family had a very troubled past. We read through the the various begats of Matthew, which you might laugh at to to hear that old English word that, that Abraham begat Isaac, who begat Jacob, and so on down the line. And for generation after generation after generation, there was trouble. We saw that some weeks ago. 
the trouble of your own past is still there, isn't it? It hasn't been erased. It hasn't become non-existent. Temptations that overwhelmed you. Offenses that cut you deeply. Regrets that just won't fade away. But the guilt of the trouble, the guilt of the trouble is cleared. The guilt of the trouble is gone by grace, but not without justice. Because the filth didn't just disappear. It doesn't just go away. The gospel is in the name. God credits Jesus' righteousness to you, and he credits your filth to him. Moments ago, we we raised our voices to sing these words from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They sing this, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. By grace, through faith, by, by the power of his name, he clears the record of your past. This is, of course, what we call justification by faith. And it's a gift that marked the first Christmas. It's a gift that is, as it were, the breaking of the dam that is sin in order to let the narrative of redemption flow through all of history, including through you and your past, present, and future. He clears the record of your past. But even further back in history, we find another Joshua. Another Joshua who actually anticipates another gift that we find in this name. And this Joshua is one who claimed a stake on the future. Now, you know this Joshua, I think. You know the stories of this one because he wasn't a high priest. He was a spy. He wasn't so much a religious leader as he was a military leader. He's quite famous, of course, for his exploits in the Old Testament, this Joshua. And the work of this Joshua stands on top of the work of the other one. And his work, some 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus, anticipated an almost unimaginable gift that follows after justification. Glorification. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But saving from implies delivering to. Jesus doesn't just clear the past, he claims the future. You know the story of Joshua. Son of Nun, the Old Testament tells us, N-U-N, was the name of his father. Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man he was when Israel was delivered from Egypt. Just a young guy. And for 40 years, you know, he had to wander through the wilderness with his people, but at no fault of his own. You remember the story? The 12 spies that Moses designated, one from each tribe, to go and to search the promised land, to go explore as scouts, as spies, and come back and tell us what it is that we're looking forward to that God has promised us. And Joshua was one of those spies. And upon their return, only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, actually believed. Only those two actually could see that God had staked a claim on the future of his people. And because only two of them could believe Joshua, for the prime years of his life, maybe from age 20 to 60, had to wander the wilderness tied by blood to his people who groaned and who griped, tied by blood to his people who complained and whined. 
tied by blood to his people who rebelled and refused. And every step of the way, he was, of course, foreshadowing a greater Joshua to come. And then at Moses' death, the word of the Lord came to Joshua. These words, Just as I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you, the Lord said. I will not leave you or forsake you, so be strong and courageous. For you shall lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give them. And 1,400 years later, when Joseph and Mary's firstborn son arrived, the new Joshua had come. A Joshua who would put all the wrongs to right. A Joshua who would right side up all the upside down. A Joshua who will one day usher in a new heavens and earth where there will be no more crying or grieving or pain or death. And so we sing with the angels, as we did moments ago. Hark the herald angels sing. What do they sing? They sing this. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. The stake of the future was suggested symbolically by the son of none, but... The stake of the future was achieved in reality by the Son of God himself. And so, when Peter the Apostle testified to the religious rulers after Jesus' resurrection, he hung all his hopes on a name. Do you remember? There is no salvation in anyone else, he said. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, as you go home for Christmas this evening, to enjoy your Christmas Eve together with your family, with your friends, tonight, tomorrow, this weekend even, what is the gift that will mark your Christmas? What is the gift that will make the difference, that will make you remember and look back on this Christmas for what it is? Whatever gifts you do receive, whatever gifts you do give, are simply reflections are simply celebrations even of the gifts of this name. For this name has marked all Christmases, past, present, and future. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the name of Jesus that you have given to us salvation in your son, We thank you, Lord, that you remember to call our attention to it every year and even every day as we gather together as your people to remember that you, O Lord, by your grace in your redemptive plan throughout the ages have called us to belong to you, to trust you because of the name of Jesus, for you have called us to belong to you, to be made new, and to believe. We pray, O Lord, that you enable us to do that even now and this Christmas. For Jesus' sake and his glory we pray. Amen.